on this episode of Why Watch That. Tipsy Light was a tree in the corner. I don't know who she was. But a tree in the corner. <laughs> we don't know. I, do, I was looking for MC Light. But she's in it. Anyway. And you got Tessa Thompson playing Sylvie waiting to go into a Nancy Wilson concert. Who is this dude keeping her waiting for Nancy Wilson? Oh my goodness. If you're going to cast Kyle Chandler. Yeah, yeah. Use Kyle Chandler. Oh my gosh. It was one of the more frustrating things <laughs> that I have ever experienced. He's the one who said, no, I'm bringing Malcolm X. You can tell the people sponsoring me, they told me this money was for me for whatever I want to do with it. Okay? Why watch that as a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head to head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. While nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome Welcome to to Why Watch Watch That. That. This episode of Why Watch That is supported by Entrepreneur Meal Plan. It helps leaders and professionals feed their bodies and businesses well. You know, Critic, I got Mm. a chance to attend a wonderful event by EMP here Uh in Los Angeles. And it was so amazing because Brandy Cochran was able to gather people from all sorts of walks of life. We were able to gather together, have real talk and some real good food too. Mm -hmm. It was a hit. It's food for the soul and the body, which is so hard to find. So if you want to learn more about Entrepreneur Meal Plan, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, go to entrepreneurmealplan.com. A why watch that sneak peek? Well, this is interesting because I remember this movie being at Sundance and I feel like critic we have just this bitter experience of not going to Sundance this year, <laughs> which is a good thing we didn't <laughs> understanding what this year is all about, but um Sylvie's love was there. And I really wanted to see it because I was excited about Tessa Thompson, Eva. Look, I, I just saw a couple people in, and I thought, "Oh, this is interesting." And we never did get to go, but we got a chance to see a sneak peek because they released it later on, which is December twenty third. How exciting! Uh, Eugene Ash wrote it and directed it. I don't know much about him, but how exciting! Tessa Thompson, like I said, starring in it. Um, Namdi Asamoa. Eva Longoria. As you know, uh, Naomi King is in it. I mean, holy crap. You keep going through this list. Alano Miller. (laughs) Hello. And then your boy Reggie Jean Page is in it, which we'll talk about some stuff he was in. (laughs) Lance Reddick. See, you watched it all. Now you know why you're like, okay, we're going to get to that. That's an inside joke it is. Yes. 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 Lance Reddick. Uh, John Magaro, who is going to show up later in our reviews. Yeah. I mean, I can keep going. Ryan Michelle Bath. It's it's just on and on and on. MC Light. 
who I still don't know who she played. Like I was like, who was it? <laughs> Me too. At the end, I was like, well, I didn't see her. I missed her. Like, where was? <laughs> I don't know where MC Light was, but she, she's she's like um Jackie, not Jackie Chan. Uh, who was the guy in Mulan who popped up? We were like, what the heck? Oh um, oh oh, uh, Jet Li. Jet Li. Like <laughs> MC Light was a tree in the corner. I don't know who she was. But in, three in the but, corner. We don't know. I I was looking for MC Light, but she's in it anyway. <laughs> let it be known that when we watch the sneak peek, we you know get excited about the actors who we see in it, and so we're looking forward to finding them. And when you don't find them, <laughs> it's just it's devastating. Now we both saw it. We both have opinions about it. We haven't talked about it, so I, I'm I'm pretty sure. They're not going to be too, too far off, but maybe just slightly ever a little bit because mm-hmm. this ain't your mama's. I keep saying Sophie's love and it's certain Sophie's choice. It's not that at all. <laughs> no. It is Sylvie's love. And the question really is, in this case, you know, what love are we talking about? Mm. Oh, well, whatever the love is, we start in 1962, New York City. Okay. Oh. A Nancy Wilson concert. And Ref, I don't think you know, but Nancy Wilson's one of my favorite singers. Oh, um, okay. So I was like, you've changed. Are you serious? And you got Tessa Thompson playing Sylvie waiting to go into a Nancy Wilson concert? Who is this dude keeping her waiting for Nancy Wilson? Oh, my goodness. Miss Otis regrets she's unable to lunch today. Are you serious? Oh, boy. Now... As she's waiting outside of the theater, somebody finally shows up. His name is Robert, played by Namdi. He arrives. Is he the one she's waiting for? I don't know. Regardless, what's going on between them? Something's going on. Then we are shuttled back five years. 1957. And Sylvie's engaged to a man who's fighting in Korea. Okay. Well, we know who the man is. Well, yes, we do. Alano Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that time, you don't. You'll see him pop up later. And Robert is a saxophonist in a quartet. Now they first meet at Sylvie's father's record store and she knows music, which surprises and pleases Robert, but she loves television, okay? Now in any case, she's engaged, remember? So how can Robert stand a chance of catching her eye? And what will her parents say? Her mom in particular, is all about what's proper. I mean, she teaches etiquette, okay? And Robert isn't exactly from the right side of the tracks, despite his talent and intelligence. Plus, over time, Sylvie and Robert never managed to be on the same page at the same time. He has his career to pursue, and so does she, at a time when women didn't put their career goals ahead of their marriage and family, their dreams took a back seat. But there's a tie that binds them. They just don't know it at the same time. That's Mm -hmm. really the thing. So over the course of five years, we watch them grow as people. They make mistakes, of course. They fall in love. They assume things about each other that seem to stop them from finding the happiness that they could have. But where will it all end is the question. And who or what is Sophie's love? Mm. What does she choose? Sylvie's love. <laughs> you just said no, Sylvie. See, 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 Sylvie's choice. But it's true. Sylvie does have to make a choice. She does. Does she choose right? Well, now, you know what, Ref? 
um, watching this, I kept thinking about, not it's, that it's the same, because it's not, but I kept thinking about Diana Ross and Billy D. Williams. It kept coming <laughs> back to me. You know, Lady Sings the Blues, Mahogany. Now, look, this does not get as dark as those films. No, 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 no. no, no. Uh, but I did like Namdi and Tessa. They're nice and easy. They're appealing to watch. It was a quiet love. It was a quiet love. Exactly. And, you know, at this time, I'll take it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will take it. Uh, the supporting cast, like the ref said, is full of people you'd recognize. They all seem to fit the style of the time period, all of that. Um, and this really has all the trappings of an idealized version of the late 50s and early 60s. Idealized. Okay. It's not the real version. It's the movie version. It's like if they made it in the 50s and 60s and wanted to take you away. Okay. So you get the rich texture of the images, you get the fashion, the cars, the music, all of it makes you feel, for me, it felt comfortable. It felt like a romantic blanket. Now, mm -hmm. there are obstacles. And like the ref was saying, it's all handled lightly and gently. Now, does it have flaws? Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. It's clear that some of the transitions aren't as smooth or developed and plausible as they should be. They're not. However, I was just ref, I was just like, whatever, I will suspend disbelief. You've got to do that to enjoy this film because writer director Eugene Ash, he crafted, there were lovely moments. You could take yeah. snapshots of it. So it didn't matter much to me. And by taking us back to the past, he, along with everybody involved in this, they give us an opportunity again to escape this present moment by entering into an invitingly vintage world that's freshened up by a Black love story. It's a Black romance period piece. And it doesn't call too much attention to that. And mm -hmm. I appreciated that as well. So what I would say, Ref, is if you like classic movies, like TCM, if you're in that mood and you want to see this and with this kind of story behind it, then this should work for you. I think um, I have to come at it from a different angle um, because the aesthetic of the movie helps it more than the script mm -hmm. so the the way that it's shot you got the back lot kind of uh generic looking new york street that yeah. you would find in singing in the rain or something like that you you have literally the way it's shot the technicolor mm -hmm. um the haze that the director chose to use over it the costumes which are just bigger and larger than life going through the time periods you know even if it's five years and then it goes a little bit beyond five years you start to hear see this hair change and you know the the costumes change and then obviously even the way they're speaking very uh, much old school so it did feel like it, that helped the cause more than what actually happens on screen because it is a quiet love it's a very, those two actors are, I found when they're together, there's a quiet knowing and a, a, a magic behind it, but it ain't much. It's not like watching something from the 50s and 60s, in my opinion, because there's, there's more shuffling going on um, metaphorically. But this is a very light feathered, um, almost like a Monet. Mm -hmm. It's like a Monet, just very lightly feathered, watercolored version of that era and it is a love story but whose love story is it and to me it is the director's love story to his hometown Harlem it's a love story to the music of Harlem 
and it's a love story to black love. Mm-hmm. And if that all appeals to you, I think this is a perfect little holiday thing to pop in. Is it for children? Mm-hmm. I would say that if your children are 14 and over, there's some adult things that happen. Yeah. Um, but it's not overt. It's not seen. It's told rather than shown. Um, definitely not for little kids, but I think once the little ones are, are at bed and you've got your little teenager around and you guys all want to just pile around and, and watch something, it's beautifully, I, I felt cared for. Yeah. It's just that the script was a bit challenging, but like the critic said, if you love a good Monet painting, you know that it's shadows <laughs> of something that's really there and, and it's up to you to mine it and find it. So this is available for some to see on the 23rd of December. So we'll see it on Prime. And if you already have shipping, you know, you're already doing that. I always have to say that because I feel like every time I have family members, I'm like, oh, did you see this? And they're like, I don't, I, how would I see it? I'm like, it's on Prime. They're like, I don't have Prime. I'm like, you, you buy stuff off of Amazon all the time. You have Prime. So you have Prime if you've been shipping stuff and you can watch it for free. Why not? On the 23rd, watch Sylvie's Love. I think you'll fall in love with it, especially how she looks, the aesthetic. Oh. Another why watch that sneak peek. This sneak peek, we have an interesting movie on Netflix, mind you. And it is The Midnight Sky. <laughs> the Midnight Sky, which is coming out December 23rd everywhere. Um, on Netflix, so you if you have it, it'll be there. And boy, did Netflix secure a big, huge star in this. What I mean, among the biggest stars we have, and it is another none other than Sir George Clooney. Now I know he's not English, but I feel like he's American royalty, so we need to figure out something, bro. George Clooney, I don't know. It is um, not only him starring in it, but he's also directing it, and. It is based on a book that's called Good Morning Midnight by Lily Brooks Dalton. And it was adapted by Mark L. Smith. And I know that both of us got a chance to watch it because, quite frankly, George Clooney involved Netflix. And then you get the rest of this cast that I'm talking about. It's like, I'm super, super curious. Mm -hmm. Namely, um, Felicity Jones, who's starring opposite of him, David Oyelowo. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Tiffany Boone, who the entire time I was looking at her, I was like, I know this girl. She mm-hmm. was in Little Fires everywhere. She played Carrie, the younger Carrie Washington character. Kyle Chandler. So Kyle and, and George are back. They worked together on Catch-22, so I'm sure he was able to snag him there. And, you know, a number of other people, especially some newcomers, a little girl who... um I tell you, don't look at those eyes because you whatever she asks you to do, whether she says it or not, you will do it. <laughs> there you go with that. We're just going to muddle through this because it is one of those movies where I, I saw it a mile coming. I mean, I, I knew it immediately what was going on, but you may not know what's going on because really you're dealing with two worlds, three worlds, if you want to be technical, the mm-hmm. past, the present and then the outer realms of the present in space. So what is actually going on with The Midnight Sky? And boy, it's on Netflix. Shouldn't everybody watch it? Uh, you know, I, well, 
<laughs> so, <laughs> I did that on purpose. I backed yes. you right in that corner. Well, you know, maybe we'll answer that a little later. Now, always the plot to start. We are in the Arctic Circle in the year 2049. Yeah. And it's three weeks after the event. What event? Mm. Well, before we get to that, we're taking the three weeks before. We're taken to the time of, yes, this global event. Everyone is frantically being evacuated from Barbo Space Observatory in the Arctic. But Augustine, played by Mr. Clooney, stays. Why? What's going on with him? Well, just know that his perception of reality might be unreliable. Also, how is he able to stay when everyone else on Earth has to go? In addition, exactly what is this event and does it have any relevance for us today? Well, whatever it is, again, it affects the entire planet. But what about outside of Earth? What does the event mean for the various space missions that are active? Can they be alerted? Can they continue? In particular, there's one mission on spaceship Ether that's very important to Augustine. Ether is on a mission to find another planet for humans to inhabit, which is connected to Augustine's life's work. But what else is going on? And what's the status of that crew and mission? By the way, as the ref mentioned here, who's playing this crew? Well, they're played by Felicity Jones, David Oyelowo, Kyle Chandler, uh, Damien Bichir, and Tiffany Boone. So you're watching them going, okay, how are they able to maintain their sanity, among other things, while being out of communication range with Earth? And what can they do in the face of inevitable emergencies? Are they headed for doom? Another thing to note is that Augustine comes to find that he's actually not alone at the observatory. Everybody's supposed to have left. He finds a little girl there with him. But who is she? Why won't she talk? And are they really safe? Really, what's going on is that there are twin tales of survival. Uh, one involving the dangers of the Arctic, the other involving the dangers of space, and both untethered to the rest of humanity and the Earth they once knew. Okay, now, here's what I was thinking, Ref. Looking at this, I was going, okay, it looks the way you expect it to look. And that's a good thing. I expected it, great. And it has all the beats you expect it to have with a few tweaks thrown in to make it more interesting. Also, everything is executed professionally, which is exactly what we've come to expect from George Clooney. I mean, okay, you see him, it's gonna be professional. Uh, plus there are moments of action balanced with moments of sensitivity, which I appreciated. Uh, however, I just wanted them to either speed things up a bit and get to the point more quickly or slow things down and go deeper into the themes of you know, uh, human connection, regret, loss, uh, possible redemption, all that kind of stuff. I was excited to get a chance to watch this because I like this kind of stuff, but I wasn't excited while watching it. I was slightly interested. That's what I would say. So here's my recommendation. If you like movies about space exploration or about people who are stranded in the elements with a silent kid in tow, then this will probably work for you, but you won't be blown away or too surprised by anything. Also, uh, this should work for families probably, as long as your kids can handle some suspense and danger. Uh, for example, uh, not that this is a horror movie, definitely not. But if your kids are old enough to watch a horror movie, then they're old enough to watch this. 
You know what? I I think that um, I listened to the talk with he and Kate Blanchett afterwards, and they were he was saying that he was first attached to George Clooney was first attached as an actor without a director, and then he was like, "Hey, I would like to direct it." Mm-hmm. And it was already written by someone else, and you know we know that Netflix isn't very heavy-handed when it comes to um, you know trying to steer their scripts a certain way. They kind of take things as is. For me, the Midnight Sky, it was a bit confusing for me. I didn't know what it wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Is this? It, it, there was some ad astra reflective internalized kind of motivation happening from the character and you know battling some of the elements there were some gravity moments where and he talked about it too there are gravity moments of problem solving by yourself how do you do that if you you or a few people are required to problem solve uh there were moments of the martian that had comedic elements to it there's a little bit of that and Interstellar, for obvious reasons, and we won't give it away because there are obvious reasons of those connections. But for me, The Midnight Sky fell short because it was trying to do all of those things. And I didn't know what to focus on because I want the listeners to be clear in hearing there are two different stories happening. They do converge, and we won't tell you how, but there are clearly two different stories. And my instinct is to say, focus on one or the other. Mm-hmm. The other one should be in the background little. Um, and I know which one I wanted to focus on. I wanted to focus on him and this little girl in on this planet for the reasons outlined in the movie. That's interesting to me. The moment we started leaving certain places and trying to get things to happen, and uh, you know, as the movie unfolds, if once we start leaving those elements and it's being about something else, that's where it's, I started to lose interest and I felt it was very slothful. Just things were happening, but it was just like, I I couldn't connect a month enough. And I have to be, if you're going to cast Kyle Chandler, yeah, yeah. use Kyle Chandler. Oh my gosh. It was one of the more frustrating things <laughs> that I have ever experienced, especially if you know Kyle Chandler's freaking amazing. And it just seemed like, you know, it just, to, in all in all, I'll say this this is not George Clooney's strongest work. Acting wise, that's a different conversation. I thought some really good things were happening. Directing wise, not his strongest work. And at the end of the day, it is on Netflix. You can enjoy it then it for free. You're not coming out of any money except for your monthly fee or whatever, however you're getting your Netflix. Um, but if if you really want to explore those themes that we talked about, I say go to Ad Astra because you're dealing with some of the same kinds of res- resolutions with family issues, mm-hmm. all encompassing in space. Go to Ad Astra, you'll be fine. But, you know, you're not going to crash and burn with Midnight Sky. Anyway, that comes out on December 23rd on Netflix. Again, available for everybody. Um, As the critic said, grab your family with some caution. I say with a lot of caution. Another Why Watch That Sneak Peek. (gasps) Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You uh-huh. oh me whenever the critic starts singing, you know what's happening. Listen, 
we got a chance to see a sneak peek. I am so excited. And you just can't hide it. I just can't. <laughs> this is such a joy mm. to be able to say that we snuck and peeked mm. um, the new movie One Night in Miami. Miami! And of course, this is Regina King's feature directorial debut. And people keep saying that it's her directorial debut. Hogwash, she's been directing TV, TV for quite TV. some time. She w- actually went through the um, ABC directorial program that they have ah. they have mm-hmm. there. And, and so I that's believe why before she did- that ref, she did Southland when she was on. I believe that was yes. her first one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she is no stranger to being behind the camera. Now, when I say Regina King, some of you are like, wait, what? You mean the Reed? You'd like, yes, the one who, anytime she's nominated. Matter of fact, her track record (laughs) is better than Meryl Streep. (laughs) I don't think she's ever not won. So Regina King is beloved by the Academy, by the, all of them. Yeah, the TV Academy, please. Yeah, all the Academies, all of them. Spirit Awards, it doesn't matter. They love her. And now she's behind the camera with this new Kemp Powers film script that we all, you know, let's save some of that because we're going to we're going to talk about that in a second. Mm -hmm. It has a stunning cast. And when I mean stunning, I mean, they ain't hard to look at now. Shoot. (laughs) Dang. Woo. Um, Kingsley Ben-Adir playing Malcolm X. You've got Eli Gorey playing Cassius Clay. Now, note that the critic's going to tell you why. Yeah. Critic's going to tell you why. Um, I'm called him Clay. I'm going to call him Clay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Leslie Odom Jr. Playing Sam. Sam Cook. Mm-hmm. Crooning like, you know, um, Aldous Hodge, Jim Brown. Lance Riddick is popping in there. You've got um, Joaquina Kulukango, who's coming in playing Betty Shabazz. Nicolette Robinson, who is Leslie Odom Jr.'s wife, ah. plays Barbara Cook, hmm. Michael Imperioli. I mean, I'm literally, I can keep going. Bo yeah. Bridges, hmm. on and on and on and on. Now, the critic's going to tell you something about this that is imperative to know to prepare you for it. Because if you didn't know that it was in this form previously, you might be a little confused. But when you do know, you go, whoa, Regina King, we've got something here. But I'm not going to rain on your parade or I'm not going to step in front of you. Yeah. Do take it. Take it. Take it. Wonderful. So this is set in 1964. And these four friends, Malcolm X, Cassius Clay, Mm. Jim Brown and Sam Cooke come together after a very important fight for Cassius Clay against Sonny Liston. Now, they don't go into the history of that fight, which is interesting if you look it up. I won't even give it away. Mm, It may mm -hmm. not. Some people are like, "Mm, what really happened that night? You're right, right, right. But we start with the fight. Afterward, these four friends get together and have a conversation. Now, about what? Before we get there, we're introduced to each. So, again, we see Cassius in the ring. Great. We see Malcolm X. How does he begin? He begins with his wife, Betty. What are they talking about at this time? Because each of these men is at a crossroads at this point. Yeah. Something yeah. is about to happen that changes their lives. So he and Betty are talking about something serious. 
They got kids, kids coming. Now, when it comes to Jim Brown, he meets with Bo Bridges' character, Mr. Carlton, and you'll see the twist that happens on that one. My goodness, I just wanted to leap out. Yeah. Okay. Now, the great Jim Brown, how is he treated by white people in the South? Do you know? It's He is a football player. Mm. And we also, of course, get Sam Cooke. And Sam, look, he's trying to perform in these segregated places, the Copacabana. His wife is there for the fight. What's their relationship like? What happened in their relationship that led up to this as well? There's something going on. And then there's something going on with Sam as an artist. Mm-mm. And as a man who owns his work in 1964. Yes, sir. So that's the setup. And then they get together in Malcolm X's hotel room or motel oh, room. Go right, ahead, Sam Cook. Right, that was you to say. Yeah, let's Sam Cook walks in there. He's <laughs> looking at the bedding and going, uh, this is a dumb And we see why, because they show him in his own room. See, this is the thing. We're going to get into smart decisions yeah. in our review. Okay, so these four come together and what's going on? Cassius, you know, if you know history, beats Sonny Liston, becomes the heavyweight champion. What's he about to do in regard to the Nation of Islam? Remember, his good friend is Malcolm X. Nobody wants Malcolm X there. He's the one who said, no, I'm bringing Malcolm X. You can tell the people sponsoring me. They told me this money was for me for whatever I want to do with it. Okay? Malcolm X is there. What is his agenda? Now, we know he is tutoring Cassius. What's he going to do with Sam? What's he going to do with Jim? What is Sam's perspective on all of this as well? He is a star who performs for white people in segregated places. How is he going to navigate that? Money is on the line. Is he going to do what Malcolm X wants? Is he, or is he going to be like, no, I'm going to represent myself and be something that's good for all people, black, white, I don't care what you are. And then Jim Brown's kind of in the middle of all of this, seeing all sides. But even for Jim, something is coming. Okay, don't know when, but it's soon. Now, (laughs) there's really nothing more to say about it other than outside of the door of this motel room is Nation of Islam security. Mm. Why? Why? And who else is watching? Ref, should I add anything else to that? Do you think that takes care of it? I think you wet their whistle nice. Mm. Mm. Now, what I would like to do, Ref, and then I'm, I'm very interested in your reaction. I would like to talk about each of the four main characters here and the actors to start. Sure. And then, then I'll get into writing and directing. Starting with Mr. Jim Brown, played by Aldous Hodge. I'll jump in too. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. So to me, Ref, this was the least clear characterization but that doesn't mean it's bad. Not bad at all. I I just wanted his lines to land with greater weight, especially during the film's first half. Now, if you look at the second half, he has a talk with Malcolm. That's more like it. And if you want to know Jim Brown, Spike Lee did a documentary, Jim Brown, All-American, just saying, so you can understand what's going on there. Now, Cassius Clay, played by Eli Gorey. Um, Eli was in... in uh, <laughs> He was in a lot of stuff, okay? Mm. He's been in a lot of TV, Glow, for instance, Ballers, for instance. And playing Cassius, it's a pretty good impersonation. Now, it's- it did, uh, yeah, I liked it. 
I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's hard to do Muhammad Ali for various reasons. We, it's mm-hmm. just a distinct sound. We've seen him so much. Everybody knows. Distinct rhythm. Rhythm. Yeah. We People have played him before. It's just a lot going on. So with all of that, <laughs> Eli did his job. And I think it was best though, Ref, when his impersonation was superseded by good acting. Mm-hmm. When he listens and responds instead of simply impersonating, then I was like, oh, there's something. Sam Cook and Malcolm X. Sam played by Leslie Odom Jr. Malcolm played by Kingsley Ben-Adir. These were the two most successful performances for me. And the reason I'm putting them together is they are contrasts in this movie. Mm -hmm. Really, it is their movie. It is their movie. Sam, okay, his accommodations to racist white people, his relationship with his wife, his whole thing with other women that's hinted at, and then his desire to enjoy his favorite vices in the face of a Malcolm X, who also has his own relationship with his wife, who wants to fight and everyone to join him, fight against racism, of course, and he's abstaining from all vices. Also, he has an upcoming split with the Nation of Islam in the offing. So these two are butting heads. And I think that Leslie Kingsley, they bring themselves to the roles the most. Leslie, when he's singing as Sam Cooke, does the same thing, which is impressive. Oh my gosh. The iconic song, you hear Sam and Leslie. That is very hard to do. We're both singers. Like, I was like, okay. And you can see it grow. He had a little Juilliard tear that was real in that (laughs) song. He did. I was like, you better give it to him, Leslie. So that was nice. And as a result of all that, you're able to watch them instead of focusing on impersonations. That's the thing. And instead of thinking, well, how do they compare to the real Malcolm X? How do they compare to the real Sam Cooke? I wasn't really thinking too much about that. No. Yeah. Now, the other thing is this tete-a-tete they have, it's credible when they challenge each other. Because again, they're crossroads in the offing here. So it makes sense that they were able to influence Jim Brown and Cassius Clay as well. All of that works very well done to both of them. I was highly impressed, really overall, but especially with what they did. Now for first time feature director, Regina King. Regina knows rhythm. That's the thing, it's rhythm. And it's based on a play. Now, we both, when we first started watching, I was like, wait, is this a play? Yes, it's adapted by Kemp Powers from his play. Uh, But what helps to turn the play into a worthy film is that rhythm. Uh, Also, here's what's going on. Regina knows, give your actors room to breathe when it's appropriate. Let them do that. Let them slow it down when they need to. Let it land. And then all of that kind of stage dialogue makes more sense on the screen. Uh, Also, when it comes to not only these four central performances, but the ensemble work in this movie, not just the principals, look at Betty Shabazz. Look at the work there. And when their daughter comes onto the phone, look at those little things. So all of that now, Kemp had to write it into his adaptation, but then you have Regina as a director broadens the scope in a way that's a much more useful for film. So I didn't mind spending time with these people and listening to their points of view, which is the thing you have to do. So when watching this ref, you might think a little of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, You might think a little of Green Book, but the thing is, this is from 
and made by black people. So you're gonna get sharper points on this, sharper points on the time period in regard to race relations, personal choices versus public expectations, different points of view and philosophies of black people, things like that. And it has topical relevance for today without overdoing it. Okay, my turn. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. This is a play, you've said that, but what you did not say that I know you inferred is there's a lot of dialogue, lots of it, lots of stationary people sitting in a room, standing, eating ice cream, drinking, but in one place for a large period of this film. This is coming to the theaters December 25th and then January 15th, it's gonna be available for on demand. And the question you have to ask yourself is, are you okay with going to see a play adaptation? I think we need to make that very clear for our audiences. I remember the feedback that people gave about Fences. They just saw Viola Davis and Denzel Washington. Oh my gosh, heads exploding. They were ready to see it. And then the feedback was a little torn because they were like, great performances, but a lot of talking. You have to know that going in and for a play. Now, written-wise, is this a beautifully written play? Dialogue was a little heavy-handed, but it's a play. And sometimes you can see in some of the actors' mouths that they had to work through that dialogue to make it realistic for the big and small screen. You talked about Jim Brown. Um, that, to me, was agreed the least mind character jim brown is not more of what he's saying but what he is doing and if he is or isn't doing something i think that is important to note his presence alone is sort of a bigger than life kind of restraint strength and when he uses that strength it really is effective and then when he's not using it he kind of swallows up a little bit among all the actors now here's the thing in my opinion this is Malcolm X's movie. This is a Malcolm, this is a foil to the Malcolm X we see from Spike Lee in the same time period, meaning the last half of Malcolm's uh, journey here on earth. And we see a completely different Malcolm. And Sam to me was his um, agitator. Yeah. Um, I didn't really see this as a Sam movie as much as maybe you did, but I saw this as Malcolm's impending weight of humanity, specifically black humanity. The weight of that weighs on him with every single word, every single point he, he tries to get across. And you see that the actor did such a great job of when he wasn't talking or when he was frustrated and trying to say, hey, alarm, alarm, alarm. There's something coming. Mm -hmm. There's something that's about to happen. You could see the actor really seething through those lines, really getting through the words and getting to the urgency, which I thought was so wonderful. And then to bounce off of that, you've got a wonderful performance by Leslie, who is like, the urgency isn't we're going down. The urgency is we're going up mm -hmm. and we're owning businesses and we're, 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 we're fighting from within rather than trying to be outside and fight that way. And it's not even a fight, is it? So in that kind of relationship between those two men, you see this beautiful brotherhood <laughs> of the four. Yeah. 
because whose side are you on? Who do you calm down? Who do you, you know, who do you, that Regina does relationships so well. Mm-hmm. And she is teaching us as viewers to take what we thought we knew or know about something or someone, flipping it on its head in a subtle way, meaning how do black men relate to each other? Mm. Flipping it on its head. How does Malcolm X relate to his wife? Mm. Flipping that on the head. How is he as a father? Flipping it. How is he as a leader? Mm. What's happening here? Flipping it. She really did a good job of subtly flipping all of those notions that we have about not only these larger than life heroes and icons, but just getting to the core of them being men. And to me, that is the heart of One Night in Miami. Who are these men and what drives them each and why? Yes. And how that drives them together, right? And how it drives Mm -hmm. them together and how it drives them apart. Mm -hmm. So that to me is a reason why I would suggest, and I feel like the critic is agreeing, that One Night in Miami is certainly going to pay off if you decide to see it any way. If you go to the theater, remember, you're going to be sitting there with a mask. Mm -hmm. You're not going to see action. You know, the big moments that the critic was alluding to happen most of them happen after the film we lead up to moments but we don't see certain moments that we know these these select these icons go through and so you're not don't think oh we're gonna see the assassination oh we're gonna you know see all of these things you're not gonna see that it really is about that night and that relationship and the and the and what spills over a little bit afterward but if you decide to see in the theater just realize be patient sit with it you're in good hands the camera's where it's supposed to be always <laughs> the beats are great you're moving through the dialogue you're moving through the, the 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 film and you feel well taken care of but if you see it at home mm. on january 15th i think clear every naysayer out meaning if you don't want to watch a play being on screen get out of here <laughs> but if you do sit down and let this beautiful subtle powerful film just wash right over you clearly you're going to come out of it with a new notion of these four men wow so with that said everybody in theaters if you can find it december 25th of this year if not prime video will bring it to us on january 15th just in time for mlk day so you have your two options there works either way we both really appreciate this work and this isn't the last you'll hear of this movie. Just keep keep your eye on it, okay? You're right. So you're one right. night in Miami will lead to many nights in 2021. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea. And we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.